Thanks, Emily. I've known Emily since she was like in seventh grade. How nice. You get better every year. I'll tell you what. We are, uh, we are in a series called Between Two Worlds, and actually what we're going to be doing this morning is being between two series, if you will. Um, and I'm going to start out by reading 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. It says this, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So this morning what we're doing is we're ending one series, and we're beginning a new series that really starts next week. We're going to kick it off next week. So that's really the kickoff of the new series, the new year, if you will, for our church. I know January is the new year, but September for a church is really where things start. And so we're starting this new series. I, I think you'll really enjoy it. It's called This Is My Community. And this is, this is so important. You know, before I kind of get into this and we talk about it, um, I want to kind of lay this foundation. I hope these words come out right because I haven't really thought this all the way through. But as I was watching people leave and watching people come in and just watching people's expressions, the expressions on their face, what they're going through emotionally, um, this sermon is not just the, it's not just words on that I'm going to say. It really has to do with people's lives. Emily got up and talked about life groups, and I'm going to be talking about that a little bit as well at the very end. But um, it's about doing life together. It's about investing in each other. It's about loving each other and being being the church, if you will. And I'm going to I'm going to describe to you this morning what Peter but Peter says the church is what he says it's all about, what the church um, should how the church experience each other. And again, I, I hope the spirit's speaking through me and not just my words coming out of my mouth. But as we talk about what it is to live in community, it's not about how big we can grow our church. You know, God's not going to ask me when I get the, the one thing God's not going to ask me when I get to church is, well, how big was your church? Everybody else is concerned about that kind of thing. But, you know, if we grow because of people coming to know the Lord and because we're meeting people's felt needs, then great. That's what I want to do. But as I look around the, the room, as I look around the sanctuary and the first service and people going out and, and just, just kind of reading their hearts, and I don't have to read their hearts, I can see their faces, there's a lot of need from the people just sitting right around you. So as we talk through this, keep that in mind. This isn't just a, a sermon about, you know, First Peter and we pick this passage. It's about the people living right next to you. It's about the people sitting right next to you. And it's about what they're going through. And there's not a person in this room at, within the last five or six months, probably, that couldn't get up here and share something that would cause all of us to break down and just cry. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. What does it mean to, to live in community? We're talking about this is my community next week. And I really would, I, I want to encourage you to commit to coming every Sunday unless you're out of town. I know, I know our culture has kind of changed and once or twice a month is kind of becoming a norm. Um, I understand it, um, but I don't think I'm going to give into it and just go along. So I want to encourage you. This is important. This next series is extremely important. And I really believe 
um, can have a true impact on your life. And, and more than that, how's this? It can have an impact on the lives of the people around you. It may not blow you away and you know, change how you ever thought about church or how you thought about your life, and I hope it will. But I can guarantee you, if you apply what I teach in the next series, this morning in the next series, it really could blow away and change the life of a person that is sitting next to you, a person in your community, a person at work. And honestly, isn't that what Jesus calls us to do in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, to consider others better than ourselves, to put other, you know, to care about them before we start caring about ourselves? So that's really the foundation from which I want to speak this morning. Um, because the goal, of, again, of this new series is to, is to help each of us understand what it means for a believer in Jesus Christ to truly live in community, not go to church, not show up on a Sunday morning to church. But what does it mean to live in community? Paul tells us, uh, Peter tells us that the church is no ordinary building because the fabric of the building is made up of people and the foundation is Jesus Christ. The very fabric of Grace Chapel is made up of human beings, of people, not not cinder blocks, not the cool stuff we put on the outside of the building. It's you. It's people. And the foundation for all of us, the cornerstone, is Jesus Christ. Peter wrote this when the temple was still standing in Jerusalem. So he's writing to um, fellow believers, young believers, New, new converts in, in Jesus Christ. He's writing to these folks, and, and, and you have to understand that the, most of the Christians that came out of that time were, had a Jewish background. And so you know, I want to go again. I'm going to bring you back to when I'm talking about, when we're, we're reading through First Peter, I just don't want to read the words to you. I want to capture what he was feeling, what he was trying to convey to the people he was talking to, maybe what they were going through, because it gives us a better understanding of of what, what it means to truly be a part of the body of Christ. So you have this temple, and this is where, this is where the uh, young believers, if you will, would go to worship. They worshiped in the temple. It was their place, you know, and it was an incredible structure. It was this massive, incredible structure. Some of the blocks, the, the foundation blocks, were they're ten feet, ten feet long, three and a half feet thick. The door, just the door, would be a, a little over about thirty feet wide. So you got a thirty-foot wide door, sixty feet tall. And if you want to really do a little bit of study, go back uh, even today, go online and, and try to get some of the dimensions of the of the temple. Okay, we're talking now we're talking about the second temple this morning. It's the first temple, the second temple. We're talking about the second temple. It was a massive structure. It was impressive. It was impressive. And this is where this is where they would worship. This is where they would they would come to worship. But the problem was at this time, these young Christians were being uh, relentlessly persecuted and pushed out of Jerusalem. Okay, so they're in a situation where this is where they come to worship. This is what they're used to. This is their experience. So this is no small issue, okay? This is not like, well, you know, I, got, <laughs> I can't worship here at Grace Chapel. I'm just going to go over and worship at, you know, Montgomery. You know what I mean? It's not, that's not the way it went. This was difficult for them. This was, again, their historic background, their heritage. And so this was no small issue. The temple was the place where, where people went to worship God. Not only that, 
But there were priests in the temple, and, the, and, for, and for all this time, the priests would go, and they would go to God on your behalf. So you would go, and they would go to God, and they would, you know, they would, uh, you know, take your, they would take your sins before the Lord, and relinquish you of your sins, all this kind of thing. So you, the priests would do that. They would go to God on your behalf, and they would pray on your behalf, and they would, they would beseech God on your behalf. Okay, so you had these priests, and again, that's what they're used to. So you can imagine the stress and the heartbreak, if you will, of those new believers when they could no longer go and worship at the temple, when they were no longer allowed to be at the temple. And my gosh, what would they do without the priests? Right. What would they do? The struggles they must have faced internally and trying to figure this all out. It must have been an extremely, if you will, confusing time because you're, you know, you're, you're, you give your life to Jesus Christ. You have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but you have this background of how you worship. But then Peter comes along here in this passage and, and says something, says something amazing, says something extraordinary. He tells them, you are the temple. You are the temple. Okay. Now, again, hold on to the background. He says to them, wait, you're, you're the temple. You, like living stones, are being built in, into, into this, this spiritual house. Okay. The dwelling place of God. This is where God dwells. When Jesus Christ died on a cross for us and the veil was ripped. Jesus Christ brought in, ushered in where God lives in us. He dwells in us. We worship him in our hearts. We are the temple, the dwelling place of God. He says, you are the dwelling place. You are being built into a spiritual house, the dwelling place of God. And you are the priests who worship in it. Wait a second. Not only are you the temple, but you are priests, he says. You are priests who worship in it. Remember what we said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9? It says this, But you are a chosen people. Listen to this. A royal priesthood. You are a, are a holy people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. People belonging to God. A royal priesthood. So you, as Christians, as followers, if you ask Christ to come into your life, you are a royal priesthood. So you are the temple. And we are the royal priesthood where we worship God. These scattered believers don't need to long for the temple in Jerusalem because they are to be a temple themselves, the place where God lives and the place where he is worshipped. This is revolutionary. Okay, for us, we think, well, yeah, God lives. We say things like I have a personal relationship with God. I asked Jesus to come into my heart and I have a personal relationship with God. And we think, yeah, well, we, we say that all the time. And, you know, we, we lose something as Christians. We lose something when we and I'm not saying we throw it around. We just use terminology a lot. Like when you when you first become a Christian, you've got to get the lingo down, right? All the church lingo, the Christian lingo. You know what I'm talking about. You get used to certain words that Christians use. There's a there's a video thing on YouTube that has some Christians just joking about this and using different lingo. It's hysterical because you don't think about it, but you do it all the time once you get into the Christian culture, if you will. So it's just amazing. So, you know, they have this down. So Peter, Peter is, is saying something that is 
is amazing, but for us, maybe not so, because we don't really remember the background of who he's, when, he, when he's writing this and who he's writing to. But this is just as amazing for us that I can, I can have a personal relationship with God. I can enter into the presence of God. Listen to this again. As you come to him, the living stone, Jesus Christ, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The church is a living building made up of living stones built upon a living foundation. These are cinder blocks, drywall, metal, whatever you want, wood. This is what we're sitting in. This is not the church. Okay? This is the place where we meet. If a tornado rips us down and we meet in the parking lot next week, we're still the church. We are the church. Like living stones, we're being built into a spiritual house. We are the church. See, God has already laid the cornerstone in the temple. The cornerstone. In verse 6, he says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. This quote comes from Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. God is now following through with a promise that he made hundreds of years before. He has laid the cornerstone as the, it, it, from the living temple. He has laid the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, and we, we are his living temple. The cornerstone was significant. Okay, this is important. It's significant because it was the place from which you measured, you took measurements for the rest of the structure, the rest of the building. Okay, so the cornerstone in the building is very, very important. It's where you take measurements for the rest of the building. If your cornerstone was mislaid, then the whole building would be wrong. Your whole building would be wrong. So if that's off, if that's not perfect, if it's not right, then the whole building is going to be wrong. Jesus is the cornerstone. In verse 4, it says, it says, um, uh, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation on which all of us are built. OK, so this 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 physical temple unnecessary. That's what Peter is saying. It's unnecessary. The physical building unnecessary. First thing he says, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our temple. OK, of our building. We are living stones that are built upon the cornerstone. I find it interesting too. do a little side note. Um, Jesus is referred to as the, sto- the stone or the rock or so many, so many times in the Bible. It's it is very likely that Jesus was a stonemason. And, and not a carpenter who worked with wood. Now, that, you know, we don't have to argue the point, but I want you to just process through it a little bit. It's very interesting if you, if you read the Bible and if you look at the, the words in the original context, it is very likely that he was a stonemason, which would make sense when he is called the stone, the rock, you know, the cornerstone over and over. And he uses it himself. He references himself. The word tecton. Um, where we get the idea that Jesus was a carpenter that used wood. Um, the, the literal translation of that means men with skills. Okay, men with skills, learned men, people who were masters at what they did. That's what it means. So these were these were master craftsmen. 
Okay, didn't matter what what you could use it interchangeably. It was it was a person who was skilled in working with. You could work with wood or you could work with stone. It was a master craftsman. I just find it interesting if you look at the look at the historical background of what Jesus would really be working with. Mostly it would be stone, and he's called the stone so often. Just an interesting little side note. Jesus describes himself as the stone the builders rejected. Okay, the stone the builders rejected. That is a prophecy that comes from Psalm 118. Here's another little cool cool side note. Jesus Christ fulfilled over 300, over 360 prophecies. And I'm not talking about half-witted prophecies you see on these learning channels and things like that in Nostradamus. I'm talking about, like, you know, where the Messiah would be born, how the Messiah would die, all these kinds of things that are not just conjured up. He would die. No, how he would die by crucifixion. A thousand years before he was born and 500 years before crucifixion was even invented, that's a prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. Okay, to the letter. Amazing. Over 360 which basically proves that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He is the perfect, and I'm using that word literally, he is the perfect cornerstone. He is the perfect foundation on which the church is built, the perfect one. As believers in Jesus Christ, we measure our lives based upon his life. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I measure my life based upon the life of Jesus Christ. Just as the stones of the temple were measured by the cornerstone. That's how we should measure our lives. Each of us, not just me, that's how you should measure your life. You should look at the life of Christ, okay? It doesn't matter. I, I lived, when I lived in Florida, my first church, uh, the pastor told me that, um, okay, you're here, you're on staff, um, but I want to let you know that you're not allowed to go to the theater, the movie theater. I said, okay, why is that? Because the theater is evil. I said, if it's not sinful, I didn't tell him that. <laughs> if it's not sinful, it's what? Exactly. That's what I should have told him. I didn't really get that back then, so I didn't have all those concepts down. But he said, you can't go to the theater because the theater is evil. And you know, I thought to myself, so if I if I go to this brick building and watch Bambi, that's I'm doing something wrong. It didn't make any sense. That stuff doesn't make any sense to me. Some of these rules. Dancing is fun. OK, can we just say it? I mean, who? I mean, dancing is great. Now, there's there's again, there's there's dancing that is sacred. Awesome, wonderful, cool, fun, fantastic, a lot of exercise, and there's dancing that's sinful, all right? And we know the difference. We can, we can decide what the difference is. We know the difference. But you know how you decide, now how you measure, I measure how I'm going to speak and the words I'm going to use by my cornerstone, Jesus Christ. I measure how I'm going to treat you, how I'm going to love you, how I'm going to respond when you hurt me, okay? Not by how I feel or some, what some other book says, by, by, by my cornerstone, by Jesus Christ. What did he say? How should I treat those who treat me poorly? I measure my life based upon my cornerstone. It's the measurement. It's, it's how I determine everything I do in my life. Not by what the pastor says, not by what the church in general says, not by what some edict that comes down from some Somewhere, but by my relationship with Jesus Christ, he is the cornerstone. I measure my life by him. If you do that, culture will not sweep you away. OK, it will not change how you live because your foundation is perfect and secure. Does that make sense? So that's what we have. And that's what Peter is saying. 
He's saying this is our cornerstone. This is what we are built upon. As believers, we base our lives on him. Jesus is the one who supports. We are living stones built on him. He is the one who supports the entire structure. Peter's metaphor continues to build. He goes on to say that not only are we the church, we the church are, are being built into a um, into a temple in which God dwells, but we are also priests who bring spiritual sacrifices to God. We are the place of worship and we perform the worship. Now, theology is important, my friends. It really is. This is so important for you. Okay. This is so important. Now, I'm not I'm not I'm not just saying, well, I think or I feel this is what the word of God is saying. We are the place of worship and we perform the worship. Every Christian, if you have asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, then you are a royal priesthood. You're a part of you are you are called a priest, if you will. OK, every Christian has access to God, the father. OK, every Christian can come into the presence of God. Why? Because I'm so great. No, not at all, because Christ, my cornerstone is so great. And when I come into the presence of God, I am covered by the blood of Christ. What Christ did on the cross for me was cover me with his blood. And when I enter into the presence of God, God, the father no longer sees Jeff Greer. He sees Jesus Christ standing right in front of me. He sees his son. He sees perfection. That's why I can enter into the Holy of Holies. That's why I can come into the presence of God. For us, it's like big deal. Tell me something I don't know. But back here, imagine that. Imagine that priests used to go into the Holy of Holies and they would tie a rope around their leg. OK, you're the priest now. Get this a rope tied around your leg and they tie a bell around the other leg. Right. And you go into the Holy of Holies. And if you weren't pure, OK, what you heard was no one was going in to get you. What they did was take you by the rope and drag your body out of there because I'm not going in to get you. OK, jingle, 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 thud was not a good thing. All right. And I'm not, and I'm not going to get you. All right. So that they're talking to the Holy of Holies for us. It's like, yes, I can come into the presence of God and worship God. And I could talk to God and God's my father. And Abba father is like my, my daddy. Oh, that's true. And all of it's amazing. We shouldn't treat it like, yeah, of course. I asked Jesus in my heart. No big deal. It is a big deal. That's what Peter's saying. This is a huge deal. This is a huge. I have access to God. Every Christian is a priest. I don't need another man to go to God on my behalf. Period. I don't need it. I only need one who goes to Father on my behalf. It says this in 1 Timothy 2.5. It says this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. The perfect sacrifice. God come down to earth. Jesus incarnate. God incarnate come down to earth. Died on a cross. And he goes to the Father on my behalf. When I, when I sin, I go to the Father. And Jesus speaks to the Father on my behalf. I have access to God through my relationship with Jesus Christ. This must have been blowing their minds. And I, I'm sorry. When you, when you have a heritage and a background and a culture that is completely different... And some of you can maybe relate a little bit to this. And then all of a sudden someone comes up and tells you this. Number one, you're excited as all get out because you've been chased out of the temple. You can't worship there anymore. And all of a sudden he tells you this. It must be the paradigm must have been incredible. I love this image of the church. It is so rich. It is so filled. It gives us so much to process. And I love the solidity of the foundation. 
I, I, love the, I love the solidity of our foundation. The physical temple was this massive, awesome, incredible structure. I mean, you know, I went through this week, and I, I couldn't take the time to just go through all the dimensions, and, but I went through it this week. It is like mind-boggling. Some of the stones that were used to build the temple, they, they, they now even wonder, how is that possible? We don't have cranes we don't own, we don't build cranes strong enough to pick up the kind of stones. 400 tons, okay, we're talking. Between 10 tons, I mean, you're talking about these massive, massive stones just in the courtyard and everything else. So here's this massive building, and here's what I'm saying. I love the, I love the solidity, I love the strength of our foundation because the first temple destroyed, which was Solomon, oh, just incredible. The second temple destroyed in AD 70. Destroyed, but you know what? You know what? This temple that God has built, this, this, these living stones with the foundation built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ will never be destroyed because it's built on the firmest foundation. It cannot be destroyed because it is built on an eternal foundation. It is built on Jesus Christ. Nothing can take it down. Nothing can destroy it. Nothing. It's amazing. You think about the other, you, you just, you, you read about the massive structures and oh my goodness, amazing. And then you think, destroyed, destroyed. But then you think about this temple, which will never be destroyed. And I love the verse where the Bible basically says, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. We have built our house. We are built, we are living stones that have built our house upon the rock. I love the inner the, the, the interdependence, if you will, of the living stones. Okay, think about it. Just process through this. These living stones, we are built together on Christ, together as living stones. We support, we support some, and we're supported by others. Isn't that cool? You got the cornerstone. I was walking with my, one of the elders, Will, and on his property, he had this, there's this cool rock wall. And, and someone came over years, years and years ago and built this rock wall from Europe, I believe it was. And he was talking about, you know, all these stones were kind of lined up and, they were, and, you, and you couldn't move it at all. There was no concrete in there. It was just the way the stones were laid. And when, when he described it, the reality was that the, it was the, really that end stone, that cornerstone, that one foundation stone that held all the other ones together. Because the rest of it, you look like you pull that one out, over time it would crumble. But they, these stone walls have been up for, not there, but in other places for thousands of years because of the strength of that cornerstone, because of the strength of that end stone, if, uh, if you will. That's what we're talking about here. That's what we have, that's what we have here. So we have this interdependence of the stones. We are built on that structure. And I love that, I, the whole concept, the, the thought of we support some, right? And we're supported by others. And that switches around, doesn't it? Like, I build into your life this week because you need me. And so you call me and we sit down and we talk and I, and I help you and I encourage you. And then maybe a month from now, I'm going through something in my life. And it kind of, in a sense, you flip the stone around and you're the one supporting me. And obviously, the, the, the foundation is Jesus Christ who supports, supports us all. And here's the other thing. You say, well, it's my purpose in life. You know, I don't know my purpose. Our purpose is found... Our, our very purpose in life is found as a part of the structure. Every stone matters. Every stone is interconnected. We need each other. If you take one stone out of that structure, it weakens the structure. Now, it'll never be destroyed, 
But when you're not a part of the structure, when you're when your living stone is not a part of the structure, building the foundation of Christ, we're missing something. Something is missing. And we are we become weaker without each other. Think about this. That really changes the way that we view the church. It really changes the way that you and I look at the church. The church is not so much something we do. It's really something we are. It's who we are. That makes sense. I like that. It's not something we do. It's something that we are. We are the church. Wherever we go, God doesn't dismantle his living stones and his temple when we leave this building. He doesn't dismantle it. We are the church. Wherever we go, we are the church. That means we leave this place. We still are the church because we bring Jesus Christ with us wherever we go. Very interesting if you think about it to say uh, teenagers, I'll, I'll pick on teenagers just for a second. Um, take that take that whole analogy there that you are a living stone. You are you are the God's temple and you are and, and God is worshipped through you. OK. Um, what does that mean when you go to a party? Because you're not it's like when we, when we when you're religious, you go to a building, you do your religious thing, you go through the motions and then you leave the building and you go to someplace else and do something else. This is not what Peter's saying. Peter's saying you leave the building. You're still the church. You're the temple. You're God's temple. You worship God. You are the place. You're the dwelling place. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a person belonging to God. What does that mean when you go to a party? What does it mean when you're dating someone? What does it mean when you're at school? What does it mean when you're at work and someone asks you to do something that you know is unethical, immoral, or illegal? Um, what does it mean when you're at home and how you treat your husband and how you treat your life, wife and how you treat your children? What does that mean? You, so you can't just leave it. You, 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 I did my, I went to church. Now I'm going to go do something else. No, you're not. Whatever you do, you bring Christ with you. You are the temple. You bring him with you. That is profound, my friends. That is profound. So, so often we think that the church is something we do or someplace we go. That's not the case. We come together as living stones to worship God. But Peter teaches us that if we go to work, we're still the church. If we go on the court, we're still the church. If we're on the field, we're still the church. If we're at school, we're still the church. If we're at home, we're still the church. If I'm fishing, I'm still the church. I'm still the church. Whatever I'm doing, I'm the church. Because if it's not sinful, it's... Say it again. If it's not sinful, it's... Right, so whatever I do, whatever I engage in, I am the church. Okay? Say amen to that. Really? Say it again. Isn't that true? I am the church. I, I, am the, I am the living, I am a living stone. And so wherever I go, whatever I do, I bring Jesus Christ into that activity. I don't, I don't meet him here. He meets me here. I don't meet him here. He's everywhere. He's in me. He lives in me. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in me. And that is, I'm telling you, Maybe you've heard, we've all heard this kind of, well, not all of us, but you've heard this stuff before at some point, maybe sometimes, but this is profound, earth-shattering, life-moving truth. Let me tell you, can I say this? Theology is important. Theology is important. 
Because if you have the wrong theology, you have the wrong view of God, you have the wrong view of God, then you're not going to live out the life that he calls you to live. We never stop being the church because Christ goes with us wherever we go. And we need to live this out. We need to start thinking this way. We need to start acting this way in our own lives. We need to, we need to ask ourselves, how can I be a better living stone in, in supporting others and living my life for Jesus Christ? How can I... How can I measure myself and become more like Jesus Christ? I don't want to measure myself against anyone else unless that person's trying to become like Christ. Like Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Well, sure, then I want to follow after you to a point because you're acting more like Christ. But my ultimate goal is to measure myself by the cornerstone. That is so amazing, and that's how, we, that's how we need to live, whether you're a child here, whether you're a teenager, whether you're uh, you know, an, an, an older folk. Okay, whether you're older, that's how we all should live our lives. That's what the Bible calls us to do. See, we need to ask, how can I express my faith in in a way that that shows who I am at work, at home, at school? How can I do that? How do I experience that every moment of my life? And I believe the most effective way to do this. Okay, what I just described, what Peter's describing, the most effective way to do this is to do life together. We, we have the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. We build the found, we have the foundation. We are living stones built upon that foundation. And when, when, when we are not all engaged, okay, as the body of Christ engaged, then we are, we are missing something. We are not as strong as we could be. It will never be destroyed, okay? You cannot destroy it, but we can weaken it. It can be weakened. And so I've, I really believe what Peter is trying to express to us is that we together, together, those living stones together create such a force that nothing can stop it. Nothing. That's why he's saying nothing can stop that force because it's built on an eternal foundation through the power of Jesus Christ. We need to be connecting with each other outside of Sunday morning even more. More than we are already. We need to do that. We need, and I'm going to go back to the, my first start of the sermon. I, if God, I say this meaning sincerely. God, if, I, if this comes off like, oh, go to a life group, help me. Um, we need to be in life groups because the people of this church need other people around them who love them enough to pour into their lives. And there are, there, there are going to be times in your life where you need to be poured into. And if you're not connected to a small group, a life group, it's very difficult sometimes to keep up with people who are going through so much tra- difficulty, tragedy, heartache, brokenness. It's difficult. But if you're getting together on a regular basis and you're with other people who know you and, and understand what's going on in your life on a day-to-day basis, they can pray for you, they can invest in you, they can love you, they can bring you meals, they can, they can do all the things that the Bible calls us to do within community, doing life together. That's why I want this. That's why I want people involved in life groups. That's why I want people involved in women's Bible studies and men's Bible studies. That's why I want people to come to the youth meeting tonight at 630. I want you there because you are a living stone. I know you're busy. And I, again, God help me. I don't want to be a guilt person. I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't want to guilt you. All I want to say is that it would be such... Um, it would be such a joy to have you there because you're one of the living stones that are a part of this church and you bring something to the table. 
I know it's a sacrifice. I know everyone's busy, but it would be a tremendous asset to the body of Christ and to the kingdom of God if you brought yourself, who are precious in the sight of God and unique in so many ways, to that youth meeting or to that life group. That's what we're talking about here. That's what matters. That's why I'm encouraging you to do this, to get involved, to connect, to connect with other people. You know, I believe that God, we are in a unique place in our church's history. Um, and I believe that God has done some extraordinary things. I'm not using that word, just throw it out. I mean, literally, I'm going to, through this next, the next series, I'm going to, we're going to lay some of those things out through testimonies and different, different avenues. But God has done some extraordinary, extraordinary and unique things through Grace Chapel. It doesn't make us better than anyone else. It just is what it is. I mean, he's done some unique and extraordinary things that we, I would like to share. But I believe that what God is going to do next is, is even more um, incredible. I believe that together, if we are together, and only if we are together, only if we work as a body, only if we function as a working body, only if we see each other as living stones built upon this foundation, can we accomplish all that God has for us to accomplish. Next week, we're kicking off this series. This is my community. I would like to fill this church up with the folks who come to Grace Chapel, inviting other people who desperately need to be a part of community and learn what it means to be a part of a church family. Invite them home. Invite them to the family. Let's, 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 let's sit down and let's talk through what it means to truly be a part of a living community. Is it easy? No. Do we, get, do we go through struggles sometimes? Yes, we do. But this loving community of Grace Chapel has impacted so many lives, and I believe we are poised to impact so many other lives. I think we're poised to change the world around us. And what I mean by that is, no, I'm going to change the whole world. You know what? God's going to use a whole lot of churches to change the whole world. What we're going to do is change the people's lives within our own church. We're going to change the people that God has put around us in our community. We're going to change the lives that people have put around us in this nation. And we're going to change the lives that God has put around us in the world. Whoever God has put in our sights as part of our global community, we're going to impact their lives. But that will only come if we work together. We will only change our church. We will only transform our community. We will only transform our world if we see each other as living stones built upon this foundation and as we work together as a body. That is my encouragement to you. That is my plea to you. Not for me. I have a life group. I'm involved in men's Bible study. I do a lot of connecting with different people. This is for you. You all need this whether you recognize it or not. We need each other. We are better together. We're better together. Now, last thing I'm going to say is you were given a stone. Hopefully you had a stone when you came in. If not, there are stones out there. Take one as you go out. I want you to keep that stone. Okay? I want you to put it in some, some place in your desk or someplace that reminds you that you are a living stone. And that we are being built into, we all are being built into a spiritual house that is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And if we remember that, there's nothing that God cannot do through us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity. We pray, dear God, that you would move in our lives, that you would use us, you would impress upon us, impress upon our hearts how precious we are to you. 
how you've designed us, you've created us, you've purposed us to fulfill the great commission and the great commandment, to reach out to this world. And Lord, let it start right here in our own church. Let us minister to each other first here so that we can strengthen each other and reach out to a lost and hurting world. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great week.